Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have two other podcasts out there, Pucks and Cups and From John to Justin, available on all podcast platforms. I also have two other podcasts launching. May 2nd, I have Canada's Great War. And June 4th, I have Coast to Coast, which looks at the Transcontinental Railway. So be sure to check those out. Today I'm looking at the history of Alex Alberta. It's a really cool little community and has a very interesting history. And as usual, I won't be going through a chronological look of the history, but rather looking at the various aspects of the history I found interesting. So let's begin. Indigenous History Due to its location, Alex often saw the Indigenous move through over thousands of years following the retreat of the glaciers. The Indigenous would follow the bison herds that migrated through in the millions, harvesting the animals for many different uses during that time. When Europeans began to arrive in the area, the area was home to the Blackfoot, the Daneza, and the Cree. As Europeans and Canadians began to push in from the east in the 1800s, the Métis would migrate into the area and set up settlements as they too hunted the bison. By the end of the Bison Age, around the 1880s, the Indigenous were being pushed to sign treaties, and today, Alex sits on Treaty 7 land. One Indigenous legend from the area apparently gave the nearby haunted lakes its name. Years ago, it was said that seven Indigenous hunters went out onto the lake after a deer that was caught in the ice. They soon fell through and died, haunting the lake ever since. According to the locals, a fissure will appear each winter in the lake, breaking through the ice where the deer managed to break free and find its way back to shore. True or not, it makes for an interesting story. The Founding of the Community When the community was still in the early part of its formation, it originally had the name of Toddsville, in honor of Joseph Todd, an early settler to the area. That would change on June 3, 1907, when Alex was incorporated as a village. On that day, the name was changed to Alex in honor of Alexia Westhead, the first white female settler of the community. That same year, the first post office was set up in the community, and William Petit would serve as the first postmaster, a role he would have until 1920. Alex Westhead ran the Westhead Ranch for several years, one of the more prominent ranches in the area. She would eventually move to England in 1913 and manage the Exbury estate. Her story doesn't end there, though. According to an account by her niece, Alex also captured two German prisoners of war and received a thank you from the government and Princess Beatrice and the war office. She would remain in England, passing away in 1941. The first mayor of the new community was Robert Sanderson, who ran the local general store. He would also serve as the first president of the Alex Agricultural Society, which held its first show in 1909 in a building on Main Street, with races being conducted along the street itself. The organization would buy 14 acres near Diamond Lake, also known as Alex Lake, for $564 in 1910, and they would build a large building there to conduct fairs 
that were quite popular and would continue until 1940. Today, Alex is home to over 700 people. The Alex Wagon Wheel Museum Local history is celebrated in Alex through the Wagon Wheel Museum. First formed in 1974, and earning its name from the fact that if one places the village of Alex as the hub in a wheel, the rim circles the historic region and the spokes divide the heritage school districts. The building actually has a deep history in the community. It dates back to 1929 when it was a pool hall operated by Oliver Sedens, who built it when his previous pool hall burned down in 1928. The building contained living quarters for himself and his family, and even space for the Alex White Lunch Cafe at the front restaurant, operated by his wife. The pool hall was a gathering place for many in the community, but at the time, no women were allowed inside. Eventually, the building fell into disrepair before it was sold to the Alex Wagon Wheel Museum in 1974. The museum and others renovated the building and began to stock it with artifacts from the community's history. These include the rocking chair of Grandma Mitchell, Jimmy Wong's abacus and coffee grinder, and Lottie Bonham's handmade rug and more. Today, the museum continues to house artifacts from the history of the community, as well as a section dedicated to its most famous resident, who I will talk about at the end of this episode. The Alex Creamery One of the most interesting businesses in the history of Alex was the creamery. The creamery was the main industry in Alex since nearly the founding of the community itself. Over the course of six decades, the creamery, which opened in 1916 and was a focal point for the community, was a place many people would work. Opened by N.A. Larson, a leading businessman in Alex, it did not take long for the creamery to begin to be a place many wanted to work. The creamery also served as the first home for Larson and his family. The family would continue to live in the creamery until 1934 when it became large enough and successful enough that the family would move to their own land. The creamery was doing enough business that it would have its own electricity generator in the form of a second-hand electric motor that Larson wired himself. When the Alberta Dairy Pool was formed in 1935, it began to ship cream to the community. And when the milk condensary was opened on September 5, 1936, Premier William Aberhart came out to officially open the building. Sadly, on February 16, 1976, the creamery burned to the ground when a fire started in the freezer room and spread through the building. By the time the fire was discovered, the roof was collapsed, and before long, the building would be destroyed. Within the building, there were 350,000 pounds of butter, as well as equipment, stock, and the building itself valued at $1 million. The creamery was not rebuilt, and only the chimney remained and served as a landmark for several months before it too was removed. At the time the creamery burned down, it was employing 16 people and had handled 8.5 million pounds of butter the previous year alone. The creamery had also gone through a $300,000 renovation just the previous year. The Big Store Fire Another terrible fire to strike the community happened on October 4, 1972, when the George Dinage grocery store erupted in flames. On the top floor were apartments where the family who owned the store lived. On the top floor were apartments where the family who owned the store lived. 
As they sat down to eat their supper, they suddenly felt thumping in the building, and then a slight shake of the building. They believed that a truck had struck the building, but when the family went out to investigate, they saw the hallway was filling with smoke. The wife of George went to call the fire department only to realize the phone was dead. Her husband grabbed the fire extinguisher, but was unable to get to the stairway as there was too much smoke. The family then pushed out the screen in the building window, and the family began to drop out the window to an adjacent storehouse. Calling for people to notify the fire department, George, before leaving the building, collected his shoes, the family's cat, and the till. By this point, the windows on the ground floor on the building were blown out, and all this happened within three minutes of the family first feeling the shake of the building. As it turned out, the shake was caused by the ignition of the newly installed gas furnaces in the basement of the building. The fire that burned was incredibly hot and a breeze was blowing sparks to the roof of the locker plant across the side street and other buildings nearby. A power pole caught fire and electric service to the town was quickly lost. The Bashaw Fire Department came in to help and the local firefighters fought the fire throughout the night. Unfortunately, the building would be lost. It was a historic loss for the community as it had stood for nearly 70 years. And through all those years, it had operated as an important store to the community. On October 5th, a fundraiser was held to raise money for the family who had lost everything in the fire. In 1978, the Parkland Savings and Credit Union opened up on the site of the store that was now long gone. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. I spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExploreNet, and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom, and uploading content. Through it all, ExploreNet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExploreNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call 1-866-285-2253. The Tall Spruce It may seem odd to devote part of the episode to a tree, but the tall spruce, as it was called, was once an important landmark in the community for many years. Standing on a small sandy knoll in a pasture with many other trees, the tree was something that everyone and Alex knew about in the community. It was actually quite large. Alice Nielsen would say in October 1980, quote, I put my arms around it as I had no tape. Later I measured my arms and I added the amount I couldn't reach. It was six feet in circumference, this was about four feet high on the tree. End quote. The tree would eventually give its name to the local school district, Tall Spruce District. It's believed that the tree was between 125 and 150 years old by 1985 when a windstorm finally took the tree down in a thunderous crash, and to the dismay of those in the community 
who saw it as an important part of their history. In a letter to the editor of the Red Deer Advocate, Ward Barrett would say, quote, Now it is gone, as are so many of the people who knew it and depended on it always being there. As many as six generations of some families have lived or been born under its reign, and its end leaves us the remaining with a great sense of sadness. End quote. The St. Monica's Anglican Church In nearby Mir, you'll find the St. Monica's Anglican Church. Built in 1895, this church still sits on its original spot and has become a landmark of the area thanks to its history and unique style. It is the oldest church in Lacombe County and was constructed by Walter and Edward Parlby through work bees that had been organized on their ranches. In 1897, the church was consecrated by Bishop Pinkham of Calgary and was furnished with the assistance of friends and relatives and congregations in England. The church was the first of three churches to be built in the area, and it would see several changes over the years. In 1911, it received new siding, and in 1915 a new bell tower with a wooden ball and iron cross was erected. In 1955, the vestibule was expanded. The church would continue to operate until 1985 when it was closed due to a declining population in the area and fewer members of the congregation. Today, the building has heritage significance due to its role in creating the identity of the area and helping the area become one of the earliest settled districts in Lacombe County. Irene Parlby Without a doubt, the most famous person to come from Alex is Irene Parlby, a trailblazer when it came to women's rights in Canada. Born in London, England in 1868, Parlby came to Canada in 1896, and by 1913 she would found the first women's local of the United Farmers of Alberta. Her work with the organization helped to raise her profile across the province. And during this time and for many years after, Irene lived in the Alex area and was a well-known and respected member of the community. Her talents as a hostess were widely commended, and she would often host members of the Canadian press, MLAs and cabinet ministers at her home in town. Her work would culminate with her election to the Alberta legislature in the Lacombe riding, which she would represent for the next 14 years. During that time, she was appointed as a minister without a portfolio, making her the first woman cabinet minister in Alberta history. Her most famous role in women's rights would come as a member of the famous five, who took the issue of women being qualified persons to the highest court in the British Empire. The group would win that case and help change women's rights forever. And soon after its judgment, the first woman, Corrine Wilson, would sit on the Canadian Senate. Today, when the problems of government the world over are essentially human problems, and our very homes and all that we hold most sacred are threatened by appalling dangers from without, and by subversive forces from within, it is well that our national existence should be fortified by the participation in its affairs of those who are so exceptionally qualified to contribute to human well-being and to the preservation of the foundations of home and community life. It is with thoughts and convictions such as these that on behalf of the Canadian Federation of business and professional women's clubs, I now unveil the tablet which the Federation has erected 
in honor of the five women whose names it records. Our own uh, Mrs. Nellie L. McConnell. Madam President, Mr. Prime Minister, fellow Canadians, I desire to thank the Prime Minister and the President, too, for their kind words. And I thank the Prime Minister still more for the kindness he showed to our little petition, when it was just a little scrap of paper going the rounds, and not very welcome anyplace. I also wish to thank Newton Wesley Rowell for his kindness in taking our petition to the Privy Council. And I also wish to thank Lord Sankey for his glorious decision. <laughs> so clear-cut and unmistakable and unanswerable. I would like very much tonight, dear friends, if I could express the corporate mind, not only of the five of us, but of all the people who have advanced the cause of women by ways seen and unseen the great unnumbered, the unremembered, and unknown people who have done so much for us, the people whose names will never appear in the papers, people whose names we will never know. Because it has been a long task, it, was a, it has been an epic story, this rise of women. They had to begin from so far down. Women had first to convince the world that they had souls, and then that they had minds, and then it came on to this matter of political entity. And uh, the end is not yet. <laughs> we fear that there are still people who would sign a minority report. Now, I do wish to pay my tribute of love and admiration to the other four women whose friendship I enjoyed and treasure for their loyalty, for their love, and for their steadfastness, for their wonderful companionship, Mrs. McKinney, Mrs. Muir Edwards, and Mrs. Parlby, whose message you will hear just in a moment. And particularly, I wish to give my tribute of praise to our undaunted and indomitable and incomparable leader, Emily F. Murphy. She didn't care who got the honor. She was never one to care who got the vote of thanks. She would joyfully pin a medal any time on somebody else. And you know, dear friends, I can't help but saying it now that we're all here together, that we would all be able to accomplish a great deal more if none of us cared who got the credit. And tonight, if she is listening from some of the islands of the blessed, I'm sure that there is no person who will hear the words of this ceremony with a lighter and a merrier heart. Throughout her life, Parlby was an advocate for rural Canadian women and children, and she pushed for public health care services in municipal hospitals. And she would pass away on July 12, 1965 in Red Deer, the last of the Famous Five. In 2009, Parlby and the other members of the Famous Five were named Canada's first honorary senators, and a mural of Parlby also exists in Edmonton. In 1966, Parlby was recognized as a person of national historic significance by the Government of Canada, and the plaque honoring that event can be found in Alex. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Alex Alberta, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. 
You can also visit my website. We will find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Randall McCallum, Diane Wade, Lorianne Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke Guess, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.